0: Uh, welcome back to American Graffiti, one song at a time. I'm your host, Rachel Mummertz, and with me today, I have a guest here to help us cover Minute 31.
1: Hey, and I'm the guest for today. I'm Chris Frayne. Uh My friends call me the tiger. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm from uh, some other podcasts you may have heard. I did a Movies by Minute podcast about 2001, A Space Odyssey, called Open the Podcast Doors, Hal, and also I'm currently, as of this recording, doing a Movies by Minute with your friend Tierney about, yeah, about Close Encounters, and that one is called This Means Something.
0: Oh, yes. I'm excited. I'm excited for that one. All right. Well, welcome to American Graffiti. In this minute, we are going to be talking about the pharaohs and Kurt and <laughs> them getting some change to get some uh, gasoline, I suppose, or so they say. So, Chris, um, can you give us a history or a background of your experience with this movie?
1: Yeah. Um, so... I had not seen this movie for, I am estimating, in its entirety, I had not seen this movie in maybe about 20 years. I remember watching it at some point in college, and it may have been for like a history class or something, you know? yeah. And then, it, you know, it's in pretty heavy rotation, or at least during the 90s and early 2000s, it was in pretty heavy rotation on like TBS. Hmm, And so, I would always catch... It in progress and watch it for like 10 minutes, but I could never remember, okay, is this the beginning? Is this oh.
0: in the <laughs> middle?
1: Is this towards the end? And if they're towards the end, I'm not going to bother watching it anymore because yeah. it's one of those movies because it's it's such a like an assemblage of scenes and vignettes, I want to say rather than a plot-driven thing. You know, it's hard to tell. If it's, you know, a movie where they're attacking the Death Star, you know you're at the end.
0: Exactly.
1: If you're in a movie where they're opening the Ark of the Covenant, you know you're at the end. But uh, this one, I, I can never figure out where am I in this movie. So then I watched it the other day, and uh, yeah, so I'm ready to talk about it.
0: Yeah, and if it's anything like when I seem to catch a movie, it's always the same part every time.
1: Right, right.
0: It's like you turn it on, and it's like okay. I know I've seen this part, but like you said, it's like I don't, I don't know where where in the movie we are <laughs> because there is no yeah. Like you said, there's no. It's all
1: at night, pretty much. Yeah, if it's during the daytime, it's the end, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. And this one in <laughs> the daytime is yeah. That's a good thing about this one, or an interesting thing I should say about this movie is like you said, it's kind of just a series of vignettes. It's mm-hmm. literally just you know one character last night stars. in town mm. and yeah each character has their has their own story going on but there's no high altogether climax you know climax of the movie like, mm-hmm. you know it's just the end you know <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and what's funny is you could interpret that as saying oh there's no stakes you know because it's not a plot driven thing and yet this the decisions made on this night will affect at least two or three people like for the rest of their lives and we're we're the minute we're covering you know for our for our main character uh Kurt this this is sort of like i think a pivotal moment in his decision making
0: i agree i did have that as a question in my notes as well for you as to this particular section of minutes that we're covering, you know, how how important is this in Kurt making that yeah, final yeah. decision? Is this the, like you said, is this the point, the turning point where he makes his mind up for good?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, but in the minutes before this, yeah, you know, he had been pretty adamant saying, look, I, I'm not going. I'm not going to some fancy East Coast college. I can just stay here. I can figure things out. I'll go to uh junior college. I assume that's what they're referring to when they keep saying JC. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. And he's like, I'll just figure it out because I, and I don't know what his loyalty to the town is in, the, you know, like what his affection other than just when you're before you're a fully formed adult You're just terrified of the unknown, like especially living in an unknown place or making big life decisions. Or at least, let's put it this way, it doesn't come easily to everyone. It certainly didn't come easy to me. I I went to college specifically to a place that was 30 minutes away, which meant I had to, or I didn't have to, but I chose to move to college, Mm -hmm. but I could always come home. Like on a moment's notice, I could just come home.
0: That sounds similar to me too. I, I was far enough away from home to be away, but I wasn't a crazy amount of time away. Like I could, yeah, just hop in my car and be home in a reasonable amount. Right.
1: With, a, with uh, three loads of laundry and be like- Yep,
0: oh, exactly.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it, so he seems to, up until this moment, I perceived that like he really, he doesn't seem like he's part of this town's culture- yeah. But at the same time, he's he seems really afraid to leave it.
0: And that's what I think is a lot of it in reviewing him throughout the movie and just thinking about my own experiences. Mm-hmm. Being afraid of, I mean, you know, you always think like, oh, man, I, I, I can't wait to get out of this town. I can't wait to get out of this town. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, bam, it's here and you have to. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh. And you're so especially exiting high school you yeah. it's a comfort zone you know where you stand with people in your town and you're like oh man you know you leave that and it's into the unknown you're starting over and it's like you know i'm kind of comfortable here i'm not sure if i if i wanna you know give give all that up right but then it seems throughout this night he kind of experiences different aspects of what it would Mean and what his life would look like if he would stay, and how it would just kind of stagnate him, perhaps.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, in this minute, uh, you know, he's at the mercy of the pharaohs. By the way, I cannot spell the word pharaoh, I, I will never be able to spell it the way they spell it on their jackets. I know. Yeah, those extra letters at the end, I'll never be able to remember the exact order of them. So I'll I just chalk it up to a you know, uh limited brain bandwidth or something. <laughs> <sighs> but uh yeah, I think he sees that that in a town like this, and I can relate because I live <laughs> I'm not bad mouthing Albuquerque. I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It is. I feel a lot like Kurt. I I'm the one driving the the Citroen, the little European car, and I've I'm constantly at the mercy of guys driving their Ford F three fifties, you know, and and whatever. And so, and that's a very low stakes version of what's happening with Kurt here. But you know, he sees that if he stays here, there's always going to be these like. These tough guys who don't appreciate his intellect, let's say. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, if he goes into business here, he's going to have to deal with these kind of punk kids all the time.
0: And that's the thing, too, staying in the town you grew up in. I I grew up in a fairly small town and it, it just, you know, if you would stay there, or like you said, you know, open and go into business or something, it's like people always will know you at some point in your life and that's how they always will see you, whether it be good or bad.
1: <laughs> right.
0: You know, like if you become a teacher in the school that you went to school at and a lot of the teachers are, that you had are still there, it's like that, you know, it's like, how do they see me? Will I always be right. judged on who I was back then? <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard to get away from that as well
1: <laughs> and uh, I think one of the things that happens in this scene you know he's he's basically at the in a crime accessory or whatever they call it to a crime or accessory I should say and he will have when they find out the money is missing from the pinball tables they will put two and two together and realize the pharaohs took it and he was there yeah so in some regard, He is fleeing from the consequences, even though it wasn't his fault. But when they find out the money's there, they're going to be upset with him. And they're going to, uh, he he probably just doesn't want to deal with that. So like, it may be the case that this wasn't even, you know, a big decision on his part where a big rational decision, but it's more just like, well, now I got to leave.
0: Because yeah, if nothing
1: else, these very well connected, because they're in the Moose Lodge or whatever, these yeah, yeah. very
0: the him the connected
1: guys in this town are going to hate me for the rest of my life, or or at least not going to trust me. So that's it. And I and I now, especially since I've taken the scholarship money. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> so, oh, I I'm, he, he's sort of like none of this. He has no agency in this scene. No. Which I think is funny. He's both. At the, at the whim of the pharaohs, and then once he gets sort of transferred over to the the guy who runs the um, the mini golf, it's like, well, now I got to do what they want me to do as well. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that plan works out better for him to just. Spoiler alert! Should I, am I allowed spoilers on the show? Or yeah, yeah, he gets on the plane and leaves. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we we were talking about the pharaohs. Yeah. 'Cause you had kinda said that you were hoping to talk about the the members of the pharaohs or the 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 people who had played the characters. Oh yeah.
1: So we got um one guy, he the guy who played Ants, which I think that's really funny, that his name isn't an Ant, it's Ants. Plural. <laughs>
0: um
1: he was only in this movie.
0: Yeah, because I had looked him up as well.
1: Bo Gentry, which is a great name. I know. Bo Gentry should be like either like a country singer or Ooh, like in cowboy movies or something. Perfect. Oh. Yeah. So he was only in this. And then you have the tiniest of of the pharaohs.
0: I love seeing Carlos. him get out of the truck when they walk up. <laughs> I feel him because I'm not, I, I'm pretty short myself. So I would be Carlos in this scenario.
1: I I had to do a double take because I'm like, is that a kid? Do they just have like a 12 year old kid with them? I mean, he's impossibly young looking. So he's played by uh, Manuel Padilla Jr., who is unfortunately no longer with us. Died in 2008 and uh was in American Graffiti, Scarface, and a 1966 version of Tarzan.
0: Oh wow.
1: He was also one of the people that appeared in More American Graffiti.
0: Yep. <laughs> a movie
1: seen by a dozen people maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I I don't even remember this movie. I don't remember More American Graffiti and I'm I'm approaching 50 years old. So I'm I remember American Graffiti came out when I was like one or two years old, so I don't remember it. But I remember, I do remember American Graffiti being part of the zeitgeist. And I think it was more because of, and this I'm talking early to mid-70s, mid-70s, because they basically spun Happy Days off of this.
0: Oh, yeah. Yep.
1: And so there was a lot of like 1950s nostalgia just because of this movie. Where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. And then as a result of all that, then they were like, well, since this is such a big deal, let's do a sequel to American Graffiti, not George Lucas's idea, and uh, see how it does. And it was um,
0: (laughs) –
1: I haven't heard good things about it, but I also haven't seen it, so who knows.
0: And it would have been – I mean, when it came out, it would have been the perfect – I mean, the people who had been – probably around the age of the characters in the movie were, you know, grown up enough to, like you said, this is very nostalgic. So it would have been that perfect timing of looking, of them, you know, seeing this and being like, bingo, that's, I, I'm right back in my teenage years just watching this movie. Right. Which that's the thing about this movie is it's, brilliant in that no I mean I didn't grow up in 62. I wasn't even born then but just thinking about the themes and you know what the character the character arcs and what they go through during this movie it's very you're able to connect with it even now. I mean we all kind of go through that same transition period going from high school to the real world so it's always there's always a connection point.
1: Yeah. And and there's a, for lack of a better word, if you're upwardly mobile, you know, so you, and and especially in a town like Modesto where this is, I assume that's where this is taking place because that's where George Lucas grew up. Yeah. If you're upwardly mobile, you have, you have an aptitude, a skill or whatever that is not part of what the town's economic future is. And so you're going to leave. What are your like what are your loyalties to to the town and the people you're leaving behind? And what are your loyalties to yourself or your duties to yourself to develop? You know, that's I think that's what's at the crux with Kurt and Ron Howard's character. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Steve. Yeah. yeah. I, and, you know, they both make different decisions yeah. on that same... Because I get the impression they read to me as like they're the same people but with different slightly different circumstances in that steve has an attachment to a person his girlfriend and she's like i i I take it that she's like a year behind him like she's a junior
0: yeah i think yeah she's a year
1: behind. and and then we learn at the end of the movie he stayed in town and became an insurance agent whereas kurt went on to become a writer in canada I love that in Canada part.
0: <laughs> I know.
1: It's like how far away can we get without it seeming too implausible. <laughs> so, that I mean that's what I picked up on. And then a couple of things about like nostalgia. I think it's so odd that George Lucas decided to make a movie about what life was like 9 years ago,
0: like I know. as if
1: it was some distant memory or like the world has totally changed. But if you think about it, because the late the mid to late 60s were so turbulent, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. it really probably did seem like a different world than, in 1972 seemed very different than 1962. And so it's like, yeah, you, you had legitimate ground to be like, I'm going to look back on 10 years ago. Whereas imagine doing that now. Like imagine you make a movie about- what my life was like all the way back in 2011 like <laughs> who would care like the iphone was clunkier you know whatever.
0: i didn't have an apple watch
1: right exactly
0: <laughs> and that's true because we i i know i i'd covered this previously too even in the soundtrack when you kind of go and look at you know when all the when the majority of the songs would have been Coming out or when they premiered. Most of them, it seems to be like, you know, during the 50s. Mm-hmm. This is taking place in 62, which, yes, it's in technically the 1960s, but it's still that early in the decade. It still very much has the 1950s vibe still going on. Like you said, oh, no. not until the mid to late 60s it does everything really just. Right go topsy-turvy so yeah
1: right not until paul mccartney takes acid at a timothy leary event and and similarly i know like brian wilson did something similar to that you know and that's that's happening around 65 66 and that's what we kind of associate culturally with the 60s and then i always said you know and then the the earlier 70s felt like an extension of the 60s and i and now i'm so old i i think everything feels like an extension of the year 2000 oh yeah like, like i don't know the difference between 2005 and 2020 well i shouldn't pick that year 2018 yeah,
0: 2018. <laughs> other, yeah than, we're just... like,
1: other than the specifics you know certain specifics or certain like you know, no one knows what quick time movies are anymore.
0: And like when you say 10 years ago, it's kind of like, wait, was that 2005? Was that 2015? You're just like, I don't right. even know when 10 right. years ago was anymore.
1: <laughs> and I, I think, you know, well, we were sort of handed uh, last year a very definite universal breakpoint that we'll be able to say, oh, do you mean before this or after that? You know? So maybe there will be, you know, in five years people will be making movies about what life was like in twenty nineteen, right before everything happened. I don't know. Oh
0: wow. yeah, I could see that. <laughs>
1: oh, so getting back to the pharaohs, the the lead pharaoh is an actor with quite a IMDB resume. I am stalling for time as I find it.
0: Which I you was quite out. impressed when I when I looked
1: Oh, so this is Bo Hopkins. This the the there are two Bos in the Pharaohs. Yeah, and he is he's got a lot of credits, including something that's in post production right now. Oh my goodness, he's still going.
0: And I see where he was in Hillbilly Elegy, which that's right,
1: that's right. Recently yeah, recently
0: came out and was a pretty. Oscar content- contender.
1: Movie. Regardless of how you feel about the film, it was an Oscar contender and it was, uh, you know, considered a major motion picture. Hold on. Was that directed by Ron Howard? No, it couldn't have been. Because I'm saying that would be an amazing coincidence. It was directed by Ron Howard. <laughs> the circle Full is circles. complete. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just a lot of, uh, a lot of credits here. Most of them I do don't know what they are.
0: I see he was in Dynasty for a bit. Dynasty. And The Scarecrow and.
1: Murder She Wrote. Yeah. Matlock.
0: And he was one that also appears in more American Graffiti. However, I saw his credit was as Little Joe. So if and when I ever watched that. I will be curious to see how he went from Joe to little Joe.
1: (laughs) He was also in a movie, this is not a good movie, but uh, a movie (laughs) called Nightmare at Noon, which I have seen. It's a um, kind of a science fiction horror, low budget horror movie from 1988 that was um, filmed in and around Moab, Utah, which is like this tiny little hippie tourist town in Utah, like it's the most absurd location to, to shoot your movie in, but I think that's when Utah was giving out uh tax credits to for uh film productions. So So yeah, those are our pharaohs. And also later on we meet the, the local businessman, the moose. <laughs> the, yeah, Mr. The two mooses.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know Mr. Gordon is the first guy we meet in the in the pinball yeah, machine room,
1: I thought he was saying Gourley, like Matt Gourley, and I was like, wait,
0: <laughs> that'd be awesome. Just uh, clip him or yeah, superimpose him into the movie. <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> but they're both great character actors. And this, the second guy, I actually I I feel like I recognize him from things, but uh, do you know who that is?
0: Al Nalba. Okay, let me see, I'm gonna butcher his last name, Al now bandian uh-huh. he was in invasion of the body snatchers that's where i
1: recognize him yeah the 1978 version
0: yes he was in so i married an axe murderer the movie jack with robin williams
1: oh yeah yeah which was a francis ford coppola movie
0: yep <laughs> let's see what else Peggy Sue got married.
1: Ooh, that's a good one. But yeah, he, he's the kind of, he he fits this role perfectly of like, he's the guy who owns a mom and pop shop. Like when I look at him. Oh yeah. God. Like, and he's from a bygone time. People don't look like this anymore.
0: No. That's the thing. Like you don't really see him until close to the end. You see the back of him and kind of the side, but you don't see like his front His face until full on, yeah. Long, yeah. <laughs> and I just love his... That uh, handshake, the never-ending handshake. Oh, right,
1: and then the punk with <laughs> and he punctuates the words. You know, something about you know you're gonna be the the best. You're you're something about you. You are the right person for the money for the scholarship.
0: <laughs> and I I was watching this, and the, when he's when they go into the uh, kitchen or wherever he is, and he has those drinks or whatever that he puts down. I was trying to figure out what those were, like what kind of drinks they were, because they were very odd looking.
1: (laughs) I'm just taking a look here. Oh, it's, I I think it's the containers. I could be totally wrong. I'm guessing they're the containers for straws.
0: Oh, that makes a lot more sense than them being actual drinks.
1: Yeah, either that or it's like, those are some really tall smoothies or something that he's about to make. (laughs) No, I'm thinking they're either the containers for straws or it's the thing that you make like um, milkshakes in. Because I know there's a... But those tend to be tapered. Like they're wide at the top and then they kind of narrow down. But it, but they would use like a metal vessel and then pour that into something. But
0: mm-hmm. I think
1: that's the container for straws. People from the 1950s, let us know.
0: <laughs> Is that what straws came in? No. Yeah. <laughs> that would make sense. Like
1: you would pull the top up.
0: And then all the straws.
1: Within. And and you pull a straw out, and then you put the top back down. That makes sense. I think that's what that is. I like some of the. I I could read backwards some of the drinks that are being offered there. Okay. There's there's one that's like pineapple. Mm. What else? Something with like oh, oh something float. Not a pineapple float. That'd be horrible. <laughs> so yeah, they you know he's he's basically been caught. Not in the, they. There's plausible denial or deniability here, you know, when uh, the first guy, you know, catches the Pharaohs and then he sees Kurt and Kurt is sort of giving them cover, right? And then, and then, oh, let's go talk to Mr. Anderson or whatever. Yeah, this is just, there's just so much awkward in this scene. There is. Because now he has to cover for the Pharaohs and they're congratulating him. And he has, it's just, ugh. (laughs) <laughs> one of the one of the things I think that would have added to this scene is when they first start breaking in to the pinball machines. He does this like um, Richard Dreyfus does this nervous little dance, and he's going like, uh, uh. <laughs> and I thought it, he actually kind of gets hidden. His performance is like behind Joe, like Joe's kind of standing in the way of us seeing it and i was i was thinking like george lucas go ahead and make do like another take from a different angle like where we could see him obviously very uncomfortable and doing this great little like nervous dance about them breaking breaking into the the pinball tables but that's nitpicking
0: and then i wonder too if it was kind of because he kind of has to hide himself when he when they're about to get caught for stealing cuz he's kind of pushed in the back and then he's like oh kurt you know he notices him i kind of wonder what what kurt would have done if mr gordon like hadn't come out or hadn't noticed him like would he have gone in you know all gung ho and actually not just been an an accessory, but you know, been like, okay, you know, I I know how to get these open and get all the.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, if he had gotten away with it, which he does get away with something later.
0: Yeah.
1: Which, uh, well, I'll save that for whoever your guest is down the road. But uh, yeah, if they had gotten away with it and no one ever came out to, I mean, he would have avoided this whole awkward encounter. And I'm going to throw out there, it might have changed his. uh, his calculus of what he wanted to do. I'm telling you, this is the crux of the movie right here.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: and I'm wrong, but I'm just going to throw it out there.
0: I think I think it is. So I guess I I, I found it kind of odd that once Mr. Gordon, you know, I was like, oh, you know, hi, Kurt, and the, you're so proud of him and everything. And he doesn't even really stop to think, like, you know, he's just like, oh, friends of yours when he's talking about the pharaohs. And Kurt's like, yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're my friends. We're just, and he doesn't really stop to think, like, why are you hanging? I mean, obviously, you know, it says right on their jackets, <laughs> pharaohs. And right. think in a small town like that, they'd be kind of notorious for their misdeeds. And he doesn't really stop to think, like, why, you know, hey, what are you doing hanging out with? Those hooligans or something.
1: <laughs> I would have asked at least, like, are you okay? Like, is everything okay? Like, I would have immediately assumed he he had been ad- abducted and, you yeah. know, this was some, like, crazy, like, initiation or something into a gang. <laughs> but people, and, and especially if you're making a film about young people, the old people in the movie typically are clueless. Yeah. There's some truth to that as I approach, you know, an age that is, I would have considered old, not even 30 years ago. So, yeah, I think they just don't know. They just don't know what's going on. And it's one of these things where he obviously has like, a, a reputation of just being kind of nerdy or, you know, a, a a good kid that it's like, well, whatever the circumstances are around you, I'm sure everything's fine.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: So I think they're just, you know, it's it's kind of like, it's kind of like white privilege. He has like, nerdy privilege or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because they're kind of like, oh, well, he just happens to be here at the same time that they're here. And (laughs) he must just be getting a ride home from (laughs) that or something.
1: From the guy who looks like he's in his late 30s.
0: Yeah. I know, especially when he comes back in. Yes,
1: the- that's what I'm looking at right now. And I'm like, oh, my God, is he like <laughs> 35 when they did this? <laughs> he looks great, but I'm just saying he, he, does, not, he does not pass as teenager. No. So you've got like a combination of like a 12-year-old, a 35-year-old, and then the one guy who does look like he's maybe like 20.
0: <laughs> he does have great hair,
1: though. Oh, man. <laughs> I've never had hair that good. So get a job. Yeah. I don't know how involved you get in your analysis of the songs playing on this soundtrack. This is a song I am familiar with because oldies radio, speaking of the, the, the seventies zeitgeist that American graffiti created the fifties in the seventies zeitgeist. Oldies radio started in the seventies and. It was, it was always, you went to the dentist or, you know, at the grocery store, whatever you would, chances are you, if you, if it wasn't Muzak, it was one of those things where everybody would be like, well, oldies music isn't, so original era rock and roll, R&B, doo-wop, whatever, was considered non-offensive. Yeah. Which I think is really funny because at the time socially conservative people considered that music like the end of the world.
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, and now it's like it's okay to listen to it at, at the, you know, in the dentist's office, whatever. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm familiar with the song. Although it's funny watching this, it is very appropriate that the the level of the song in this in the movie like the actual audible level of it goes down as soon as they hit the verse because I don't think there's anyone in the world who knows the verses to this song. We just know we just know the the chorus. Um which is I mean it, it is one of the catchiest choruses ever.
0: Oh yeah.
1: But no I couldn't tell you a single line of the verses in the song.
0: No. So I was reading through the lyrics online, and it's like, oh, okay. Like, it's one of those you read through them and you can kind of put it to the tune, but yeah, like the chorus is the this is a thing that you know goes through your head on repeat.
1: Yep. (laughs) Not that it's been like that for the last two days or anything. No, no. As I got (laughs) ready for this podcast, no.
0: That always happens. Whichever one, it's always, because I did, uh, let's see, Peppermint Twist. That one was in my head quite a long time. (laughs) That's the thing. I love the I mean, I love the soundtracking, so I don't really mind getting these songs stuck in my head. (laughs) It was a song by The Silhouettes that was released in November of 57 Mm -hmm. and hit the Billboard R&B, yeah, number one in 1958 and like you said it's considered a duop or they were considered like the part of yeah. the duop I, I i mean there's a few different genres that they could they would have been considered a part of i think
1: yeah and it wasn't a cappella so like i tend to think of duop as strictly a cappella version oh, that's yeah that's true where this is sort of like duop inspired rock or or early rock or duop inspired RB you know kudos to um The songwriters here because it's the band. The band wrote the, the silhouettes wrote the song. And I love that. I, you know, it, it, I'm not, I'm not a snob. Like I, I think there is a role for people who are just performers and they're not writers and for people who are writers and not performers. But Mm. in this era, if you were just a performer, you probably got paid nothing.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. and I'm
1: not saying the silhouettes made. I mean this this was a number one song. I hope they got the proper royalties, but mm-hmm. so I don't know the history of like where the money went for this song. But at least the door was open for them to get paid. Whereas in a lot of cases, you're like, oh, you know, with music from this era, it's like you you read that these people like after their career was was over, they were broke because they weren't getting any residuals and they would hear I mean it's tragic they would hear their song on the radio or their song would get put into American Graffiti or some other movie you know and it's like I didn't get paid I did not get paid for that and I'm I'm the reason that song's a hit you know oh yeah so I, that's the only reason I point that out is I hope I hope they uh, were compensated for it um it appears in some other movies Stand by Me which is very uh, American graffiti esque, but but sadder and darker.
0: And Richard oh. Dreyfuss is also the. Uh,
1: that's right, he's the narrator. That's right. And uh, Good Morning Vietnam, and yeah, and then of course the band Sha Na Na took their name from the onomatopoeic refrain Sha Na Na.
0: I think that's amazing. <laughs> I, I I love that little piece of trivia. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a fun band oh. name too. Yeah. The yeah.
1: This song, though, is not one of my favorites. And the reason why is because it is a song that reminds the listener of responsibilities. Yeah. And I hate songs like that. There there's there's this, there's uh yakity yak or whatever, Don't Talk <laughs> Back, where it's all like, take out the paper or take out the trash, get the papers, do all this other stuff. And then what's the other one I'm trying to think of? Just Get a Job. Oh, Summertime Blues, which is- Oh,
0: yeah. You yeah.
1: know, the narrator of the song is is, is protagonist of the song is talking about how much summer- sucks because he's going to have to get a job and everywhere he applies for a job or or you know his boss is coming down on him about something or whatever. And I'm like, I know that the point of all of these songs is I'm going through this and I'm commiserating with the listener cuz I know you're going through this. Okay, so let's share this this misery. And I'm like, I don't want I don't want to be reminded <laughs> Because I started working summer jobs in my junior year of high school. I want to say sophomore year, but it was actually junior. And I have never had a summer ever where I wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And so I associate, and and I was the kind of kid that I loved school. So Mm -hmm. like, it was basically the year was broken down to school, yay. And then summer, oh God. And it was yeah. because my dad, my who who grew up, uh, eh, my dad would have been if you made American graffiti about 10 years before that, that's the era my dad was in. And just because of some things in his family, he had to work starting at 15, you know. Mm. So it's like he he would not let me take summers off. Like as soon as I was work eligible, you know, in the state of Maryland, it's like you're going to work. During oh, the yeah. summer, do not let me catch you, you know, hanging around the house all day. <laughs> and it wasn't like, he would even like be kind of passive aggressive about it when I was like in fifth grade. Like, what'd oh, you mine. do today? And I'm <laughs> like, nothing. It's summer.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so get a job just reminds me of that. It reminds me of the dread that like, like that I, I would start legitimately in like April, I would start having this dread of like, oh, I got to find some, am I allowed to curse on your podcast? I'll clean it up. I got to find some BS job, you know, in the heat of, of a Maryland summer to do for like no money and just just so that I've left the house and done something productive today, <laughs> you know, so.
0: And it's hard too because- I, I was kind of the same, you know, high school started my first jobs and pretty much ever since, you know, just kept on that wheel and it's hard to, because a lot of times, you know, your friends get that freedom and you're just like, oh man, because <laughs> like even during college, it's like, yeah, I worked.
1: Oh yeah, that, all straight through college. Yeah. Yeah. Straight through college, straight through grad school, like doing temp work and whatever. And it's like, yeah, I don't... I don't understand the concept of, quote, enjoying summer or summer vacation. I'm like, what is that? What are you from, Europe? <laughs> uh, so, all of these songs like build that like dread and annoyance in me of like, oh God, I gotta get a job. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's like, you know, you're already experiencing them firsthand, you know, just going through life. You don't really want to be, you know, listen to a song reminding you about it. It's like, oh man.
1: Yeah, I wanna hear songs that are like fantasy and escape and like Exactly. Fighting dragons, you know, on Mount Doom or whatever. I don't wanna <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind me I have to go to my, my BS retail job.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I like the how this how the song fits in with the Oh yeah. This uh particular section. You know, the pharaohs are kind of the I guess gang. You'd call it the gang around here. I don't think they get into like you know horrible like gang warfare but they get up to trouble so it's kind of like hey you know get a job instead of robbing pinball machines
1: yeah i think they're they're petty criminals for sure yeah they do just enough to where they don't have to have gainful employment <laughs> they do just enough to where they can have this evil looking car and yeah. and yet they don't have money for gas did you talk about the car yet?
0: Not really. No, not their, not their particular car.
1: So according to the Internet Movie Cars Database, imcdb.org, this is a 1951 Mercury Sport Coupe. Ooh. And it has no... Like, the windows are so tiny. Mm-hmm. It looks like an armored car. Like, <laughs> like it looks like you could... Drive it through a brick wall or something. <laughs> it's all blind spot. Yeah, it
0: is. <laughs> so we talk about them needing the money for gas and taking it out of the pinball machines. So I kind of wanted to go over the pinball machines, sure. which are all kind of not. They were all made after this when this movie was set.
1: Oh, you caught you caught him, caught George Lucas. Yeah. In a- anachronism there.
0: So what I found was we have the machines are Gottlieb's Wild Wild West, which would have been 1969, Gottlieb's Royal Guard, which would have been 1968, Bally's Skyrocket, 1971, Bally's Vampire also, nineteen seventy one. Gottlieb's Buckaroo, nineteen sixty five, and Williams's Ballpark, nineteen
1: sixty eight. Wow, Th- that's those are some glaring anachronisms, and I'm glad you caught them. That that would be like you know you make a movie about the eighties, about the early eighties, and like the arcade games are like Mortal Kombat and <laughs> I don't know what's the one where like someone goes into beast mode when they fight I forget what it's called but yeah like that's a pretty glaring error there
0: yeah
1: i know they're working with what they have and all but yeah i bet there was you you should have booked a pin ba- pinball enthusiast because i bet they would have gone nuts
0: oh man nuts with
1: how wrong this is <laughs> <laughs>
0: It would have been neat to see what they would have put in place of these, right? Because I, I mean, right. I, I I'm not a pinball enthusiast, so I wouldn't know what pinball games would have been accurate for this time time. But uh, at least it wasn't like you know, hey, Temple of Doom. We have the Temple of Doom pinball machine, well, right? Right. Temple of Doom right. didn't even come out yet, but
1: <laughs> or like space shuttle or something like hey, <laughs> that doesn't even exist. So- yeah. Yeah, I am not a pinball enthusiast either. I my wife is, and oh, cool. and it's one of those we don't um we definitely don't have space for one in our house that we currently occupy. But it's one of those things there are people who it's like they have to own a machine, and I've always thought, wow, that's just you're just signing yourself up for just a lifetime of maintenance. Like cuz it's all moving parts and springs and Yeah. I'm like, no, no, I'll stick to video games and, uh, I'll do, uh, pinball simulations or whatever. But I, you know, if we're in a place that has a pinball machine, we have a few hipster bars here in, in Albuquerque and I'll, I'll try them out. But, um, for the most part, I don't like the ones that are too complicated. Like, yeah. there are ones that are – they just have too much going on. They always tend to be, like, the the ones that are tied in to, like, some sort of movie franchise or something. And it's like, let's, you know, blast you with media from this movie franchise you like. And it's like, okay, but – I I really just came here for the pinball game. I can watch the movie at home.
0: I know. It's like, I can hear those lines anytime I want.
1: Right. <laughs> I do love the architecture and the interior design of this. Um, what little we see of this. Uh, it's a mini golf and arcade. And I mean, obviously it goes without saying mid-century. Um, but it, it, <laughs> but it's like the color scheme is so like unashamed. Those yellows and greens and reds. It's like it's just going for it
0: yeah and i was curious to i i, I just kind of wondered you know how much they would they could expect to get out of the machines i wonder how popular which i would think they'd be fairly popular for people to play
1: yeah yeah
0: I was kind of like, well, how much gas could they get if they? Got-
1: I would think they would get too much money from these. You know what I mean? Like for gas, it's got to be 1962. I'm guessing gas was like probably like 30 cents a gallon. Yeah, and it's like, okay, you're going to bust over a, a whole machine open for you know to get you're you're probably going to get like twenty dollars worth of coins out of it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> with how many machines there are <laughs> but
1: in for a penny in for a pound i think you know it's like we need the money so if we get too much that's okay too, <laughs> too much, that's we'll
0: okay, need so. more guests sometime <laughs> yeah
1: but this is what they do i think this is what they do like 24 7 just these like petty obnoxious crimes <laughs> and i don't get the sense there's a rival gang you know that they're
0: yeah i don't think so either no.
1: it's these three guys that's it <laughs> Oh, and their other guy and their leader that Kurt scratched the car.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The whole justification for this abduction. (laughs) There's a very similar dynamic here where, you know, he's basically been abducted. He's doing whatever they tell him to do because he doesn't want bodily harm from them. But then he has to, but he's also coming across people who are like, hey, why are you with these people? And he has to, like, kind of cover for it. There's a whole movie. With this dynamic, and it's called—I swear I'm not making this title up—it's called "Kitten with a Whip."
0: Wow! And it stars
1: (laughs) Anne Margaret and John Forsythe. We were talking about Dynasty earlier. I think he was in
0: Dynasty, yeah. (laughs) And
1: he plays like this, like sort of conservative senator from California, and she's like this juvenile delinquent runaway who escapes from juvenile. You know, hall or whatever detention and ends up in his house. Like she just breaks in because she's looking for a place to sleep. And then all sorts of things snowball where it's like, well, why do you have this attractive woman, you know, 25 year old woman who isn't your wife in your house? And he's like, got to cover for that. She realizes that he ha- she has leverage over the situation because, you know, he can't be embarrassed by this. this is back when politicians had shame (laughs) so then she invites her whole juvenile delinquent gang over and then they start taking advantage of the situation and meanwhile other people are showing up and being like hey who's this you're hanging out with you know and he's like oh this is my niece and her friends you know (laughs) and so it's like this one scene this whole is is in this movie kitten with a whip i believe it's from the early 60s okay yeah huh Early to mid-60s, probably, yeah, somewhere in there. So if you like this sort of awkward comedy of errors sort of thing, you'll like that. To me, it just makes me anxious. Like, this whole scene made me anxious up until the very end. There are some good punchlines at the end.
0: And I just love how awkward Kurt is throughout this whole interaction. (laughs) <laughs> just especially at the end when they're leaving, he's just like, even he can't even like say goodbye correctly. <laughs> right. But I guess he's just, you know, wants to get out of there, get out of that situation, just take a deep breath and be like, okay, <laughs> we did it. <laughs>
1: this was, this seems like it was written specifically for Richard Dreyfus as an actor. Oh so yeah. He does that great, like awkward negotiating a situation sort of guy. I I don't know how to put it, but yeah, and like I can't picture Ron Howard in this scene. No, because he would have been he would have been more like charming, you know, and confident. Whereas Richard Dreyfuss is doing that great awkward weirdness, and he even does that that Richard Dreyfuss waddle walk. I I don't know how to describe it, but it's sort of a with every step you sort of turn your body one way and then another way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and he has quite a few. Just his whole role. I, I mean, he has quite a few. It just seems so natural. Comes natural to him. Like it's just a natural extension yeah, yeah. of himself.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the punchlines at the end when uh, one of them, one of the business guys says, uh, you know, when, when you leave, you're 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 taking a part of the store with you or whatever. You know, and he's like, <laughs> yes. yeah, or, yeah, I feel like I am. Or
0: and I I wondered too with that line if it was just kind of. Oh, it's supposed to be like a literal like, Oh, I suppose I am. Like yeah. as in, you know, they're they're taking your loot. <laughs> so we are taking a piece of this store literally with us. <laughs>
1: yeah, he says, I feel like I have. <gasps> <gasps> yeah, and then as he walks away, we get the exterior shot of the pharaohs saying, Um, you're gonna you'd make a great pharaoh, whatever. And then
0: the yeah. the
1: two guys say, and he'd make a great moose. And I think that's like that's like You know, the crux of the matter, it's like, am I going to stay here and possibly become some punk or am I going to become an upstanding member of the Moose Lodge in this small town that, you know, and have a business as boring as running a a mini golf? You know, both of these are unappealing. Oh, yeah. Both of these are unappealing for him because he's, my read for him is that he's uh, an intellectual
0: that's what, yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, like they say in uh at the end, you know, when, it, you know, he goes on to become a writer, it fits. Right. I mean, he hit his, his mind, I guess, if it makes sense, like his mind is bigger than what the town yep. would be. Or, you know, he's too, I don't want to say big for the his britches. No, but. it's,
1: it's, I think that's the clear message. And it's, and it's interesting that, you know, this is semi autobiographical. So this is how George Lucas felt in Modesto. It's like, I have ideas. That I want to act on. Mm-hmm. And this town is not going to do it for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: and I, I think this is a very, this is sort of a universal theme for any young creative person who is living in a place that is, and I would say pre internet, living in a place that doesn't really reward creativity or in, in living in a situation that, that doesn't reward creativity. I, and the reason I put that pre-internet on there is because now you can showcase, you can live wherever. I mean, it helps if you live in New York or Los Angeles for certain things, but you can showcase yourself on, you know, you could become world famous on TikTok
0: yeah. and
1: you're in Topeka, Kansas, you know? So, it's not the world is a little different regarding creativity that way. And thank goodness for that. But uh, yeah, I think he realizes both of these choices are not not good. I do not want to become either of these people.
0: It would just slowly, it would just like shrink his mind. Like his, yeah. it would just kill his creativity.
1: Did you notice I may be onto something or I may be totally out of my mind, but he, so he drives Kurt. Drives a Citroen, which is a French, a little. I don't know where he got it because I don't think those were even available here in the United States.
0: Not widely, I, I
1: don't. Yeah, so he drives this very, what's like uncharacteristic, a very unique car, and it's very tiny and it's very not American.
0: Yeah.
1: And then there's a scene later on. I forget if it's after this minute or before this minute, where he's with. These two girls that he seems to know. Is one of them his sister?
0: The one where he's in the bug, the VW. Yeah, they're his ex-girlfriend and her friend. Because that's before he gets kidnapped by the Pharaohs. Right,
1: and he seems pretty comfortable with them. Yeah. And they're driving around in a Volkswagen Beetle. Mm -hmm. And not only is it a, a Volkswagen Beetle, but it's like they haven't really... Like hot rotted it out, or like the interior it uh, interior of it is all scuffed up, and it's like they were, well, they're women, so they it would have been tougher for them to get out of this town on their own,
0: yeah, oh yeah,
1: but socioeconomically controlling for that variable, they're sort of the same of the same class. and so I think he see he sees them and they're stuck in the town and he's with them and he's like, I think that also contributes to that decision. But I'm just noticing the symbolism in the car that like, they're the only two people that drive foreign cars other than Toad rides a Vespa. And we only see that at the very beginning and he desperately does not want to deal with it. You know, he desperately (laughs) wants the big American car, Uh, but there really aren't any other foreign cars in the, in the movie.
0: And I know they tried to make each car, that you see the characters drive unique to the character themselves. So it would be fitting that Kurt and his journey throughout Citrion, the movie would yeah. be driving the Citrion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, is, I believe, French for lemon. So when we talk about think, a car, we have a lemon. <laughs>
0: I love it. <laughs> it's literal. <laughs>
1: yeah. But that was a, I mean, that would have been the most uncool car to have. Oh, yeah. In that environment, for sure. You know, and then by the late '60s, of course, everybody was driving—not everybody, but uh, the the VW, the the Beetle became a very popular yeah. uh, <laughs> car, and and it was associated more with like hippies and that culture. So and it, so it's like a weird—it's like he has this intellectual bohemian side to him that's represented by the car mm-hmm. that's. Just at odds with everybody else, even his friends, even because, oh, yeah. you know, uh Steve's car, which is what, you know, Toad is coveting the whole time. It's a big American, you know, 1950s car. So, you know, that's his closest friend. And even then it's like, yeah, I don't really have anything in common with that guy at the end of the day. I don't know. I might be reading too much in that, but it jumped yeah, out really? at me for sure.
0: I, I like that. Well, I think that covers all the notes I had. Did you have did you have anything else for this particular section?
1: Not for the particular section, no.
0: Or any parting yeah. parting notes so. or thoughts on
1: sure. I was gonna recommend um for people who like this movie and if they haven't seen it yet, check out The Last Picture Show, which was a movie that came out in 1971. So not too much was this was 73 right yes so last picture show came out in 1971 it's about you know these high school kids trying to figure out what to do with their lives in a really small texas town like it's it's one of these like oil boom towns where there's only like 50 people left yeah set in like 50 51 somewhere in there it has uh Jeff Bridges, very young Jeff Bridges in it. Cloris Leachman and um, Sybil Shepherd. And Sybil Shepherd is like if she's nineteen, you know, I she's super young, and it's very dark, very grim, mm-hmm. but it's still the same themes of like, what is my loyalty to these people I grew up with versus what is my, you know, my duty to myself to hopefully escape. And and just like a lot of the characters in this, some characters make some really bonehead choices. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's it and it's it is not a rollicking rock and roll romp. It is a, a very poignant movie at times, but it does have humor. It does have moments of humor. And it also has an excellent soundtrack, which I forgot to bring up um, if I don't know if the soundtrack was ever compiled onto its own album, but there's a playlist on Spotify. If you look up The Last Picture Show, you'll find it. And it's all, like, Western swing and, like, the Western part of country and Western, you know? Yeah, like, very, like, Hank Williams, like, First Hank Williams type music. And I I love that music. So that made made the movie a little easier going down. But it's actually, it's an excellent movie. I want to say it was nominated for like Best Picture, Best Director, and won one of them. Probably not Best Picture because I want to say Chinatown maybe won it that year. But really good. So check it out if you can. So same themes, different take.
0: And where can listeners... Find you other than on this podcast.
1: Uh, they can find the the 2001 podcast. I I believe is still available through Spotify and maybe some other podcatchers. But like I officially turned the switch to stop paying money to to refresh the feed because we finished it two years ago. But it's still like relevant. We're talking about the movie. Some of our references might be a little outdated, but uh so that's called Open the Podcast Doors, Hal. And then currently uh we're into the last act of Close Encounters of the Third Kind by the Minute. And that's available. I tried to make that available everywhere. So Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So if you look for, it's called This Means Something. Dot dot dot. And you can find me and Tierney Steele there.
0: Awesome. And listeners to this podcast can find us at any of, uh, in any of your local podcatchers. And also join us on Facebook at Mel's Listeners Drive-In. And please join us back here tomorrow for another episode of American Graffiti, One Song at a Time. He's really fast, isn't he?